about how uh, the, the writer is thinking as he or she presents this text. And then I'm going to come and I'm going to hone into one point at the very end, and then I'm going to ask you to make a commitment and go sign up for a group. See, agenda clear, right? Okay, so you know what's going to happen. The sweaty palms can go away. The heartbeat can go down. This is what we're going to do. So let's talk about some observations, first of all, about how relationship works, about how life works with one another, all right? So let's talk about that for a moment, and let's look at this point. There is really a gap between who we are and who we want to be. Isn't that true? Like, we just look at our lives, and we know there's a gap between who we are as a person and who we want to be. And that can be as simple as my weight isn't what I want it to be. My financial situation isn't what I would like it to be all the way to my behavior or my disposition or my attitudes aren't what I hope that they would be, or my commitments to certain things aren't what I hope they would be, or my circumstances aren't what I would hope they would be. There's always a gap because we are imperfect people. We are people who fall so short, not only of God's standard, but we fall so far short of our own standards. And let's be honest, we kind of, we, we put them up there for real idealists and perfectionists but they're still not even near what God's standard would be and we fall short of our own standards. Like that's the most frustrating thing in the world. So you're really encouraged right now with this point, aren't you? (laughs) That there exists a gap between what is reality and what is the ideal or there is a gap between what's real and the ideal. And so all of us kind of have a dream of who we ought to be. We come into our homes and we see stacks of things and we think, I wish I was more organized. You ever walk into an organized person's house? It makes you disgusted, doesn't it? <laughs> like everything is where it belongs and you just want to throw up all over the place because you know your stuff is all over the place. And you walk in and you just wish, you wish you had that skill. Until you get to know the person, you realize they're really not happy because they spent all their time putting things in little nooks and crannies and stuff like that and make it totally organized. And you realize, you know what, your life's a whole lot happier with messes. So you just walk around with messes. But all of us deal with kind of this gap that exists and it's frustrating and it's discouraging at times that you and I are not the people we want to be. And so we want to be more patient. We want to be more kind like we prayed earlier together. We want to be more, uh, have more self-control. We want to, we want to be more loving. And we look at our lives and we blow it over and over and over again. And we just, ah, this gap, it's just here. I don't know what to do about it. I'm just so glad God is a God of mercy and love. Thank goodness. Because this gap exists. And I'll tell you what, it is this gap that caused us to realize that we needed someone in our lives. We needed somebody to make up the difference in this gap for us. It is the awareness of this gap between who we are and who we were created to be or even who we wanted to be that left us in crisis and caused us to think and to imagine and to dream that we needed somebody to step into that gap. And who is that person? Who is it? You're in church. No, it's a therapist. It's, it's a therapist. You need somebody to help you close the gap down. No, you're right. It's church. That's always the right answer. Jesus is always the right answer if you're asked a question, okay? So we need somebody to step into the gap. It's not a therapist. Well, maybe it is for some of you, but there is a gap and we need Christ to come and make up that difference that you and I can never make up in our attitudes, our dispositions, our actions, who we are as people. There's a huge disconnect between who 
we want to be and who we really are. And we all realize that and we feel that at some level and, and it's discouraging, it's frustrating. And then we come to meet this person, Jesus. And this person, Jesus, comes and he steps into our lives and he offers to us the sense of acceptance we never had. He offers to us the sense of forgiveness and mercy that we've never had. Because where forgiveness and mercy live and where acceptance live are in the gap. If we didn't have the gap and we were who we really wanted to be, there'd be no need for Jesus. There'd be no need for mercy or grace or love or endurance or patience or self-control. All the things that we want to be, if there were no gap, those things would not exist. They exist because there is a gap. And thank our Heavenly Father for having sent Jesus to be the one to close that gap, to fulfill that gap in us who we could never be, to step into it and to say, I will stand here as the grace and mercy within your life. And so today, if you have yet to become a follower, that is really at the core essence of who we are as people of God is we recognize we will never become who it is that we wish we could become, just like you will never become the person you wish you could become. But we as people of faith have realized that we will never reach it, even with all of our effort and trying and toil. And so we invite God to come into our lives in a way to make that gap up. Now, it doesn't mean we just get to keep living our lives the way we want to live it with the gap and go, well, the gap's there, God fulfilled it, so I'll just keep living that way. What we do is we come to our Heavenly Father and we ask Him through His Holy Spirit to begin to close that gap down in us. To become the agent that creates the change within us through the mercy and grace offered by Jesus Christ. And and that's really at the essence of who we are. And why is that? Why did God choose to approach us that way rather than with a different kind of approach where He just went zap, 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 zap. And thank goodness that I'm standing here and I'm not just a puff of smoke because of the zap, right? So how is it that God chose to come into our lives? Well, he knew that what the, in our makeup and in our fallenness, in that gap, what we really long for is acceptance. And so we all are attracted to environments of acceptance. You just think about it. You, you, if you have an environment of acceptance, people are going to gravitate towards you. Haven't you known some pretty merciful people who just listen to you and they may have not been through what you've been through, but they just accept you for who you are. A lot of times we call these friends and and, and they just accept us for who we are and they have very little expectation for us except that we become the person that God would desire us to be and they want to walk alongside of us to help that happen. We are attracted to environments of acceptance. Why is it that Weight Watchers is so successful? Because you walk in and you're accepted. Like if you're overweight and you walk into Weight Watchers, people don't go, what's that overweight person doing here? They welcome you because they're all struggling with the same thing. Nobody condemns one another in that situation. Everybody says we're all wrestling with this situation. Why does 12-step work? Why when people come in with substance abuse issues and they sit around other people with the same issue, they feel that this is a place that they could live? because we are attracted to environments of acceptance. When we find that people accept us, we want to be around those people. You see, and God knew this was built into us. Why? Because he created us. And so how did God approach us? He approached us in Jesus Christ, and he said, you're accepted. You're accepted. Because gnawing at us is this gap. And acceptance steps into that gap and says, you are worth it. 
12 steps successful, Weight Watchers is successful, and you know what? They're all focused around community, aren't they? Life groups. Because they all have something in common, they all have a gap, and they all need some, somebody to accept them because of that gap. Here's the second kind of observation that I would make about kind of how we are, is we all need a space without judgment or rejection, don't we? We all need sort of space that's created for us, an environment where there isn't judgment, there isn't rejection, where we can sit with a group of people and we can say, I'm really struggling with this in my life. I'm struggling with this part of the gap. I'm having a hard time living this thing out. And they don't look at you and say, you're an idiot. Like we don't, we don't need people like that in our lives. We need people to look at us and say, we love you anyway. We're going to pray for you. And you're accepted. We all need that space without judgment or rejection. Now, here's the funny thing. We started out making some observations about environments of acceptance, and we talked about Weight Watchers, and we talked about 12-step, AA, NA, OA, all of the A's, and they all had something in common that caused them to be accepting of one another, didn't they? So why is it that the church has this label of being these things? Because the church has stopped recognizing the common gap in us all is sin. And what we've started doing is pointing people, pointing fingers at other people who are struggling with the same thing we're struggling with. It just looks different. And because it looks different, they're rejected and I'm accepted. And Jesus stepped in the gap and he said, no, uh-uh. There is a gap that exists within every single person, no matter what it looks like and how it fleshes itself out in activity. All of us have that gap and all of us need Jesus to step into it. The church has forgotten the essence of that commonality. You see, because when people walk into AA and they look around and they say, hey, I've got a drinking problem. Everybody else has a drinking problem. And the church ought to be a place, our life group should be a place where we walk in and we say, you know what, I have got a sin problem. And everybody says, ha, you're in the right place because so do we. We have a sin problem. Mine looks different than yours. It comes out different than yours. You struggle in ways I don't struggle. But we all have that in common. Because we need a space that is without judgment or rejection. Now, isn't this true? These are just observations relationally about who we are, the makeup of us, and our relationship. So let's jump into the text. In Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to be looking at uh, a piece of text that was written to Jewish people who had become followers of Jesus. And that's why it needs a little bit of introduction. Because when we read the writings that are to the Gentiles, we're Gentiles, we can understand them a little bit more. But this is written to Jewish people, and an analogy is used of the temple. And this analogy is used because the Jewish people were very familiar with the temple sacrificial system. God in the Old Testament had set up this idea in which mercy and grace were offered through animal sacrifice and which people's gaps were closed by them making an offering to God that would allow him to then say, okay, because you deserve death, you can substitute it through this sacrifice and offering and you don't have to die. That thing will die and I will offer offer the grace and mercy necessary. Because when reconciliation takes place, it always requires sacrifice. Let's think about that for a moment. For you to be reconciled to your enemy, for you to be reconciled to that son or daughter, for you to be reconciled to that person, that friend that burned you, somebody has to sacrifice something. Don't they? Reconciliation always requires sacrifice. And it's the same with God. Somebody has to sacrifice something. The amazing part about God and the person of Jesus is that God sacrificed himself. 
for something that he didn't even do. That's why we follow. That's why we love our Heavenly Father. That's why our Heavenly Father is loving. So, there's this temple sacrificial system. How it worked is, there's an outer court, there's an inner court, and then there's a, an inner place called the Holy of Holies. And there'd be an outer court where a sacrifice could be made, and then there was this inner part called the Holy of Holies. So if you imagine a temple, and there's these outer courts where certain people could go, and then inner courts where only men could go, sorry ladies, and then inner courts where only the priests could go, and then the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could ever go. It was believed uh, that God lived within what was called the Holy of Holies, which was the very central part of this temple. That his spirit resided with the people of Israel and lived in their midst, which, by the way, no other God ever did. So God came to dwell and live with his people because he knew this gap existed and he wanted to fill it for people. He wanted to help them close it down. So how he did that in the ancient world, is he came and he lived within this place called the Holy of Holies. So his spirit dwelled there in this place for the Jewish people. And how they uh, mitigated sort of the power of God, because obviously if God's like raw power is sort of in the room, that's kind of a problem for the rest of us. You know what I mean? Like we would just be destroyed simply because of his magnificent power that is somehow uh, uncontained in, in, its, in its reality. That's why Jesus came in the flesh. God's power contained so that you and I could then be in relationship with it. In fact, there's this account where Moses, who like was, saw God like, like nobody else, wants to see God's face, and God says, you know, if you see my face, like, you'll just die. So we can't have that, because my raw power is like too much for even your uh, physical presence, your meek and, and weak physical presence. So God walks by Moses, puts his hand over Moses so that Moses doesn't see the front. Moses sees the backside of God, and just that like fading glory was enough that his face shone for like weeks and he had to cover it. All right, he's probably very thankful at this point that he didn't see the face of God. Like, I just saw like the tail end of God and that was enough for me, let me tell you. So, within the Holy of Holies is where God's presence resided and nobody went in there but once a year. And not only did nobody go in there but once a year, but only the high priest could enter in there. And so it's covered by a big sort of drape. If you could imagine like in this room from, from ceiling to floor, this huge like uh, drape, this fabric that's very thick and would go to the floor to contain God's glory. Now, here's the amazing thing. Before you thought, I wish I was the high priest that one time a year I got to go in there. Let me tell you a little bit about how they dealt with that situation, okay? Because God's uncontained power was so raw and was so powerful, and could destroy people in our, in our sinfulness and in our weakness and imperfection. Sin cannot exist within God's presence. So if a sinful person comes into God's presence, poof, right? So this is how they dealt with that. The high priest would go in once a year, allowed by God to make a sacrifice and um, to atone for the sins of, 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 his, of the people. So this is what they do. They put um, bells on the bottom of the robe of the high priest. So that if the jingling stopped, they knew something happened, right? And here's what they did. Like, how do you get the body out? So they tie a rope to the high priest's foot and send him in. Now, before you say you want that job, <laughs> anybody that ties a rope to my foot and I have bells hanging off my clothes, I know I'm not in a good situation. 
And so they'd push him in there and he'd go and he'd make the sacrifice and stuff. And, and if you heard the bells, everything was good. And if you didn't, you better start pulling the rope. That's kind of the temple system and how it works. So the Hebrew writer is coming out of that context of understanding, all right? So here's how this works. And now maybe you have a kind of a fuller idea of why when Jesus died on the cross, the, the uh, drape that separated this thing ripped from, from top to bottom. Because now all of a sudden God's presence is within our presence in a way it wasn't before. And, and we can then enter into God's presence in a way we couldn't before. And we don't have to wear bells and have ropes tied to our feet, thank goodness, because of the work that Jesus did. So this is the context in which the Hebrew writer is writing. The Hebrew writer is using what I just described as an analogy for the way things are now in the person of Jesus after his life. Does that help you give context? Okay, so you're going to understand it in a way you never thought you did before. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, the writer says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence... And see, that's the amazing part about this text is the Hebrew writer is saying, now you and I can enter in with confidence. We don't have to tie bells to the bottom of our clothing and we don't have to have ropes tied to our feet and we don't have to go in timidly hoping hoping that we we have been cleansed enough of our sin that when we enter the presence of God it doesn't just kill us and so that's why the Hebrew writer is saying since we have confidence to enter the most holy place that most holy place like the high priest could only do once a year you and I now the Hebrew writer is saying can have confidence that we can enter that presence of God but we don't enter on our own merit. We don't enter because that gap got closed. We don't enter because somehow we overcame something we couldn't overcome before. We enter, the Hebrew writer says, because a sacrifice was made. A sacrifice that no longer has to be made. A sacrifice that took care of sacrifices forever. That God did something in the person of Jesus to close that gap down so that you and I could be reconciled to God. And so, we can now have confidence to enter the most holy place without fear and trepidation by the blood of Jesus, by His sacrifice. Continues to write, by a new and a living way opened up for us, opened for us through the curtain. So there's the curtain kind of analogy again. So the curtain is ripped from top to bottom in Jesus' sacrifice, and it is a new and living way in which we can now enter through the curtain. That is, so the Hebrew writer now makes an analogy, Jesus' body. So as the high priest would go around the curtain and wonder if he was going to live or not, you and I can enter into the presence of God through Jesus, who stands between us and God and keeps the raw power of God from annihilating us so that we step through Jesus and we are now seen through Jesus by the eyes of God. And now you and I are accepted. Now you and I can enter with boldness and confidence into the presence of God. The Hebrew writer says that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, and there again is the analogy again. So who's the priest? No, it's your therapist. No, right. It's Jesus. So we have a great priest over the house of God. The Hebrew writer continues to say, let us draw near to God then. So the Hebrew writer is writing, you have every reason now to enter the presence of God in a way you couldn't before. So let us draw near to God with, sincere, with a sincere heart and with full assurance. With full assurance. Meaning this, 
that even in those dark moments of your life where you wonder if you are accepted and loved by God, you can have full assurance you are. You can have full assurance you are accepted by God through Jesus. You cannot have full assurance that you're accepted by God through your effort at closing the gap. You can only have full assurance through the understanding that Jesus has closed this gap and is now our high priest who stands between us and God. And it's through faith that brings that assurance, the Hebrew writer says. Continuing, having hearts sprinkled, now we're going to use kind of a more temple analogy, sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. And so the Hebrew writer now is taking baptism and using it in this temple context of being cleansed from our sin. So it is through the blood of Jesus and it is through the sprinkling and it's through the washing of our bodies that we can be free from the guilt of that gap. Are you feeling guilty right now? That's not what God would intend for you. Guilt is an accusation of the evil one. If you're feeling guilt, God wants to close that gap through the person of Jesus Christ. All right, continuing. Let us, so, so the Hebrew writer then says, let us hold unswervingly. I love that word, like not drunkenly. <laughs> unswervingly with fixed focus to the hope we profess. The hope is what? That we are accepted, that we are forgiven, and that that gap has been filled by Jesus Christ. No matter what our heads tell us, no matter what our hearts tell us, and no matter what those who judge and condemn us would say. We hold unswervingly to that hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And I look around at all the gaps in this room. You're not faithful. I'm not faithful. Because we have gaps. But we can hold unswervingly because there is someone who is faithful. So, let me bring us to our point then. There is a gap between our aspirational values and our actual values. Let me explain this for a second because I started off by saying there's a gap between who we are and who we want to be. This goes a level deeper and let me help you understand it. There's a gap between who it is that we aspire to be and our actual values. But here's the problem. Here's what happens to us, okay? Because of our fallenness, because of the, the lie that sin brings, here's the problem. We actually can start to think that our aspirational values are actually our values. Let me help you with that. That's called deception. That's the self-deception that happens. So let me, let me help you with that a little bit. Aspirational values are the things that I hope I would be. Actual values are the things that I actually am. All right? And we think we're pretty clear because we're really mindful of that gap. But here's the problem. Self-deception steps in and, think, and makes us think that that gap's actually smaller than what it really is. Let me help you with that, okay? A lot of us, most of us I would hope, all of us I would hope, would say that we aspire to have a value of generosity financially. That we would be generous people with the money and the resources that we've been given. But what is the actual reality of that? So, so here's what I'm saying. Self-deception can step in our lives and it can tell us that we actually are very generous. We walk around, we feel very generous. I'm very generous. And then we open up our checkbooks and we look at it and we're actually not. 
That's what I mean. Self-deception steps in and tells us we are something that we actually really aren't. And so because that gap gets closed down through our self-deception, we aren't, we aren't mindful of how much we really need God and each other. So here's the amazing thing. God has created what's called community. He's created other people to be in relationship with us so that we need them to hold a mirror up to us and say, you think you're generous, but you're not. Haven't you ever been around somebody who thinks that they're kind, but all they seem to do is put other people down? Have you ever been around people who say that they're not judgmental and yet that's all they seem to do is judge? Have you ever been around people who just get angry at other people who gossip about them, but they're the stinking biggest gossip you've ever met? You've seen these people, right? I've seen it. How do they become like that? Self-deception. They're deceived in thinking the gap is smaller than what it really is. Here's what's going on. They think that their actual value is not gossiping, but in reality, it's actually an aspirational value but they've come to believe about themselves that it's an actual value. That's how self-deception comes in. Because we need that gap closed, we try to do it ourselves and we do it through deception, through fooling ourselves, through believing the lie that maybe actually we're better than what we think. And so when we get into a, a, we get into a group with, with other people and, and they see the real us and they find out we're actually not as kind as we think we are, that we're not as friendly as we think we are, or we're not as patient as we think we are, right? I hope you get in the right group and discover how impatient you really are. <laughs> but I don't like that group. We don't get along. I wonder why. <laughs> is it an aspirational value or is it an actual value? And you know, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, I get that, but I really don't know if it's an aspirational value or an actual value, that's why you need a life group. That's why you need a life group. Because how are you going to know? I've said this before. When I am sitting in the room by myself, I get along with everyone. I love their taste in music. I love the shows they pick to put on TV and the movies that they choose. I never disagree with their opinion. And they're always right. And they're darn good looking too. Everybody in that room when I am alone, right? So it's funny to think of it that way, but it's so true. I need to get around other people. And when I get around other people, all of a sudden I discover that there not only is a gap, but that there might actually be gaps I didn't think I had. That I'm not as patient as I thought I was. I'm not as generous as I thought I was. I'm not as self-controlled as I thought I was. Not as kind as I thought I was. Because I need people to help me see that maybe what I think is an actual value is really more an aspirational value. It's something I, I would hope to be, but I've deceived myself into thinking I actually am that. So a life group becomes that mirror to us that says, no, this is really kind of who you are. And we love you and we accept you. It's an environment of acceptance and love, but it's also an environment of truth. Because truth brings about transformation. So, what does the Hebrew writer then wrap up in saying to us? This is what he or she says. And let us consider then how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. If you and I had a natural trajectory toward love and good deeds, we wouldn't need others to spur us on. So you and I do not have a natural trajectory of love and good deeds. We may think that we do, but it's really an aspirational value. It's not an actual value. We think we are loving and generous with our time and serving and doing good things, but we're actually not. We need, the Hebrew writer says, we need each other to spur one another on toward loving good deeds. Why? Because my natural gravitational pull when it comes to relational stress is to not love. 
And you say, how could you say that, Pastor? Let me say it again. The natural inclination of me when I am in a stressful situation and a difficult relationship is to not love. And I'm just confessing what's true for you too. I need people around me. I need people around me to spur me on to love and good deeds. I I just need it. And here's how the Hebrew writer wraps it up. Not giving up meeting together. Have you given up? Have you been part of a community group before and you've gotten burned so you've given up? You've been hurt? Have you tried it before? And it's left you wanting? Hebrew writer would say to us, don't give up. Don't give up. You just haven't found the right group yet or you haven't become the right person yet. And, he's, and God's trying to refine you to become that person so that you do fit. So not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. See, these life groups are a place of encouragement. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And let me leave you with this last thought before I pray for you. We close the gap or we have the gap closed for us by being in community with others. It's the only way. It's the only way. The gap between our aspirational value, our actual value, the gap between who we are and who we want to be, all of it. All of it only gets closed down. First of all, spiritually through Jesus so that we are reconciled and right with God. But then second of all, it gets closed down because we are around people who spur us on to love and good deeds. Because my natural inclination is to look to my needs and not somebody else. So, I told you my agenda from the beginning. Here's the soft sell. Sign up for a life group today. Go outside. You know, Marilyn worked on this great, awesome, full-color banner. She'd be insulted if you walked by it. Like, personally, just absolutely insulted. So, like, just pretend you're interested for her sake, okay? Just pretend you're just to go over there, like, have a conversation. Make sure she sees you. Have it, right? And then you can go to your car, all right? So... Is that clear? Good. Just want, we're being funny, but honestly, we just invite you to really explore it if you're not in a group. You need to be in one.